Father God, we just thank you so much for uh, today. We thank you that we get to gather. I thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing and how we've been able to worship you through singing and through giving uh, what you have given us to you, Lord, uh, through the reading of your word and now through the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would indeed be glorified and honored. Lord, we want to worship you in spirit and truth. We want to magnify your name. And Lord, we pray for all other churches that are gathering the same way, Lord, who are declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, like we were reminded about with Dave, uh, Lord, the full gospel, that Christ died for our sins and that he rose again. Lord, I pray for those churches and that you would bless them. And specifically, I think of Redemption Bible Chapel and that you would bless them, Lord, that you would use them to increase your kingdom, that you would give wisdom and guidance to Pastor Norm and the elders there as they shepherd your flock there. Lord, I pray that as we continue and to worship you, as we gather together around your word, Lord, I want to preach your word, and God, there is no way I can do this on my own, so will you make it turn out well? Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon, Lord, to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost, and amen. As we, uh, we're going to take a little break from John, and we're going to be doing a little short little series called What We Believe. And simply this is I am, we are, uh, Pastor Matt and myself, we're going to take some time to walk through our statement of faith. Don't worry, it's hopefully, hopefully, uh, it's not going to be like boring like me just reading it. But um, these things are important. What do we believe as a church? What holds us and unites us together as a church And one of the first things that we're going to be looking at, if you haven't uh, figured out by the sermon title, is this, is that uh, we're going to talk about the Bible, what we believe about the Bible, what is the Bible, and what that means for us. How do you know what God says? What do you know? How do you know that? How do you know how to live or, or, or why you even should live that way? Why? How? There's a church recently that a member here sent me um, a, a Facebook post, um, social media post, a church in Nashville, Tennessee. And they posted on their Facebook page, uh, they claim that they are a, quote, progressive Christians. And they say, we are open to the tensions and inconsistencies in the Bible, they say. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes, I, uh, you should read the comments. Um, we know that it can't live up to impossible modern standards, they're going to say. We strive to more clearly articulate the scripture, what Scripture is and isn't. So they have this graphic uh, with, a col- with two columns, a little square with two columns. First one says the Bible isn't, and the next one says the Bible is. And the Bible isn't says the Word of God. The Bible isn't self-interpreting. The Bible isn't a science book. The Bible isn't an answer rule book. The Bible isn't inerrant or infallible, which essentially fancy words for trustworthy. The Bible is, they say, a product of community, a library of text, uh, multivocal, a human response to God, living and dynamic. And I read that and I was like, what in the world? Uh, but my next, my, my next follow-up question was, what is guiding this church? As they gather together, what is the thing that is holding them together? What are they united by? How do they know 
who God is. If the Bible is not the word of God, if it's not self-interpreting, even if it doesn't have anything to say about science, which it does, if it doesn't guide our lives, if the Bible can be wrong, then how do I get to know who God is? That's the fundamental question. And as we enter into this new sermon series, it is very important to understand that the list, if you were to look at our statement of faith, the first statement talks about the Bible, the next statement talks about God. That's not something that's just haphazardly put together. There's a reason why the Bible is the first thing that we define and what it is and why it's important. Because that determines how we answer those questions about who God is, who we are. How desperately we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. See, there's only two options when it comes to the knowledge of the divine creator. Only two. Revelation or speculation. Either, you, either God speaks or we guess. Those are the only two options. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no kind of maybe, I don't know. Those are the only two options. And as we read the Word of God, as we read the Bible, which is the Word of God, we clearly see that the Bible claims to be the Word of God. So what does that mean? This is fundamental. If you deny this, everything else falls apart. Everything. The first thing that we should do with this church in Nashville is that they... We pray that they would be convicted by the work of the Holy Spirit as they read the Bible. But we also need to understand what we believe as a church, as a local church here that is gathering together at this moment. The first thing is this, is that the Bible is the Word of God. That's what the Bible claims the, the Bible is. This is not just about, we use the Bible for everything, right? Like you could go to the... Uh, to the uh, bookstore and you can get a whole bunch you can look up bible and you can get like the bible for techies or i don't know whatever else but for the christian the bible this is the word of god but what does that mean what does that look like nobody would know the truth of god or be able to relate to him in any personal way if god didn't first act first we see this in Exodus 32, 16, right? The, that the word of God is very, his. He, he wrote it. He authored it. It is his. And Exodus 32, 16, as, as Moses is taking the Ten Commandments, God says this, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God. Engraved on the tablets. And here Moses is bringing down the stone tablets to Israel. It says that, Sorry, it says that what Moses holds in his hands is the very word of God. The Bible is called the word of God because, it, 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 because of its claims. It's believed by the church that the human writers did not merely write their own opinions, but these are the very words of God inspired by him. He spoke through them. This is the foundation of not only everything else we are going to talk about this morning, but it is everything that, this is the foundation of everything that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks about what we believe. 
If we don't believe that the Bible is the word of God, then nothing else of what I say, there's not even a point of me coming up here to talk. It's why I always ask you to open your Bibles with me so that we can go through it together. This is a corporate act of worship, not a time for you to listen to a really good-looking guy talking. (laughs) Notice everyone's laughing, but that's okay. This is foundational. It means that it should be also what governs us. This is where we find Christianity. This is where we find what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's because the Bible is the word of God also that we also see that it is authoritative. God is speaking, and when God speaks, we must listen. The scriptures tell us that, that the Bible is authoritative. We see this all the way through in, in 2 Timothy verses three, th- chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And if you grew up in the church, you memorized this, right? If you grew up going to Awana or whatever it may be, you learned this verse. All scripture is breathed out by God, he says, and profitable for teaching, for reproofing, for correcting, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for what? Every good work. Like you could preach a whole sermon just on that. But you see the first part there. All scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out. When we come and we say that the word of God is the word of God, you kind of think of as I'm talking right now is why we wear masks all the time. It's because while we're breathing out, air is coming out of us. Right? That's why you say to some people you're full of hot air. Right? The word of God is his very word. His very word. And some translations translate the word God breathe as inspired. When we talk about how the Bible is inspired, we mean that God breathed out the Bible, just as we might expel breath from our mouth when we speak. So the Bible is God speaking to us. So when my professor, when I was in college, said to me, every time you crack the book, you're face to face with God, that's what he means. The entire Bible is God breathed. Think about that. These aren't just words for us to come figure out the interpretation of. Even in high school, I remember my English teacher. He was old school. He had a meter ruler. I think I grew up in that period of time before, uh, right before teachers got into trouble for slapping those things. Um, but I remember my teacher, we, I, I disliked um, poetry unit uh, because we'd get this poetry And you're like, I have no idea what this is saying. No idea. And then he would come and the question would be, what do you feel it says? In the back of my head, because I'm a logical guy, I'm like, it doesn't matter what I feel it says. He wrote it. The author wrote it. That means he has an intended meaning behind it. I don't know about you, but I really dislike being misinterpreted. I didn't say that. That's not what I said. God's word is authoritative. It is his breath. The authority of scripture means that all the words in scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or to disobey any of it, any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. 
That's what I mean by God breathed. Either it is the word of God or it's not. Can we say that? The entire Bible. And you may be asking, your, you may be asking me though, what about all the people like Moses and, and Paul and John or even David who, who wrote these, these parts of the Bible, who wrote songs? Weren't they writing the Bible too? Isn't the Bible written by a bunch of guys, you might ask? And that's why we see passages like we see in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 to 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no one prophesy, prophesy, for, sorry, for no one prophesy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Just as our Lord, Jesus is our Lord, and that means he's our king. When we come and we confess Jesus Christ as both Lord and Savior, we mean that he is king. And guess what kings do? Kings don't often give a lot of advice. They give commands. And when a king gives a command, what should you do? You listen. You obey. He's given an order. And what that means if Jesus is our king of kings and lord of lords is that obedience is not an optional thing. That's why James 1, comes along and says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. As countercultural and counterintuitive as it may feel, submission to God's word is where true life and freedom are found. What does this tell us about God's word? If God's word is authoritative, if the Bible is God's word, we see that the Bible is sufficient and also powerful. The Bible contains all the words from God that we need in order to know him truly. To trust him fully. And obey him perfectly and enjoy him abundantly. His power, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, his power, his divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, he says. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Or like in Second or Second Timothy 3 that we just talked about, all scripture is breathed out by God and is what? Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. It doesn't tell us everything we want to know. Right? It doesn't tell us what shirt I'm going to wear today when I wake up. It doesn't tell us, should you brush your teeth or not? The answer is always yes. Right? It, it doesn't tell us these things. But it tells us everything that we need to know. And what does it tell us that we need to know? That there is a holy God, that we have sinned against him. And that because of that sin, we deserve eternal punishment. We deserve it. Entitled, there is no place for entitlement in the kingdom of God. We deserve hell. But Jesus Christ comes, he steps down from his throne. And he pays the price for our sin. So that anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Savior, who's resting in his finished work, shall be saved. And only did he die, but he rose again, giving God's giant stamp of approval for the sacrifice that was paid. 
if the Bible is not true, then the gospel means nothing. It tells us everything that we need to know. It is powerful. It can melt hearts. It, it takes our hard hearts and, and breaks them into pieces, as Jeremiah 23, 29 says. God says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. It can change lives. It's what the Holy Spirit uses to bring conviction and to show our need of a Savior. As Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation. The word of God is also alive and is active. It's not some boring little thing. It's not alive in terms of, though, as the church said, something that is changing and growing. Right? I'm changing. I was looking at pictures from when I was first married, and yes, I've clearly changed. The word of God doesn't change. It is living and active, though. As Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You and I change, but the word of God never changes. The Bible is true because God is true. And, he, and since God is true, he can't go against his very nature. If the Bible is God's word, then it is true. God's very character is true. He doesn't lie, which means he can't speak falsely. When we doubt the truthfulness of God's word, we are doubting the truthfulness of God. If the Bible isn't fully reliable at every point, how can, it be, how can we be certain if it is reliable at any point? So often we come to the Bible taking what we want and leaving other things, and it's like, ah, oh, I don't like this. It's not a buffet. The Word of God is not a buffet where I get to pick whatever I want and, and build my own plates. Or it's not like I go to, you know, build a car on like some sort of website. It is the Word of God. And it is true, as the Bible says in, in Psalm 12, verse 6, the word of the Lord, the, sorry, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Or what Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6 says, every word of God proves true, he says. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, he says lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Or John, Jesus says himself, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, as Jesus says. The Bible is also reliable. We saw that in 2 Peter 1.19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining into in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Sometimes I think we come to this and say, oh, look, uh, <clears throat> the Bible said uh, Jesus walked 60 kilometers, but I know the distance from point A to point B is, is 58. It's false. If I come here and I say, I, 
I believe my house, I have no idea how far I live from the church, but I believe my house is four kilometers from here, and it's probably more, I don't know. I, I think my house is four kilometers away from here. I live a little over four kilometers from my office. It is a vague and imprecise statement, but it is also an errant, right? There's nothing untrue about it. I, I may live 4.3 kilometers away. But I did say it a little over, right? There is nothing untrue about it. It does not affirm anything that is contrary to the fact. In a similar way, biblical statements can be imprecise and still be truly true. Inerrancy has to do with truthfulness, not with the degree of precision with which events are reported. And those are things to keep in the back of my mind and in your mind. When we see the Bible as God's word, we see it as authoritative. And when that happens, we will see it as sufficient and powerful and true. What, it, what is amazing in all of this is that God shows himself in his word, and his word can be understood. Which is the next point here, that the Bible can be understood. One article said it this way. The scripture, the scriptures are shallow enough for a child to wade, but deep enough for an elephant to swim. That's a great picture, isn't it? My children can sing, I know that Jesus loves me for the Bible tells me so, right? They can sing that and know that truth. I remember years ago when I was in high school and a friend of mine got baptized. I might have shown this story to you, but he was, he, he was Down syndrome, which is fine, which is great. When we come and say that the Bible cannot be understood, we underestimate the power of the word of God and that God can use it to, 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 to convict anybody. If a child can, you can. I know, th- I know that the Bible can seem like it's foreign. I know that some parts of it can be confusing. Trust me, in today's world, trust me, But in all of that, the Bible can be understood. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I'm pretty simple. It even tells parents. You know what the greatest thing about seeing Dave come up here and his little daughters run up here? He's being obedient to God's word in Deuteronomy. Yes, he's teaching you too, but he's teaching his kids, especially when they were like sitting here, right, watching. He's standing there watching me, so I can, I'm going to just keep using you as an illustration. <laughs> and these words he says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7, which is what we quote up there in the fancy little graphic we have, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. What should you do with them, he says? You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. The Bible can be understood. As you're working on the car or as you're going grocery shopping or, or, or you're making something for dinner or whatever you're doing, talk about it with your child. So as I open the word and come face to face with the living God, I pray along with the psalmist in Psalm 119, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. See, don't tell me you can't know the word of God. 
If you're telling me that, you're actually counteracting what the Word of God says. The Word of God can be understood. It is shallow enough for a child and deep enough for an elephant. Here are some tools, though. They're pretty simple, and uh, I, I hope it helps you understand the studying of God's Word. I think I'm gonna, I have a slide up there for them. But they're just a couple of questions. Just to ask yourself, Yikes, I'm going to read them off my screen here. Write something these verses tell us about God. When you're opening the Word of God and you're reading that passage, start marking it with an arrow. Mark it with an up arrow. Just say, God, what are these verses telling me about who you are? Write a down arrow. Mark up your Bible. Be okay with marking up your Bible, okay? It is okay to mark up your Bible. I'm giving you permission. Please mark up your Bible. I have my Bible of my great-grandfather in my office, my opa. It is a, I, I've looked through it every once in a while. It is marked up, pages falling out. And I'm like, that was a man who loved the word of God. Write the, something that these verses tell us about human nature, which you'll see a lot of. Write down any new discoveries you have made reading these verses. Write down the most exciting verse in your opinion and why. Write anything you don't understand or want to ask about and go ask someone about it. If someone knocks on my office and I'm in the middle of something and they say, hey, I got a question about the Bible, I will drop literally everything. And, well, as long as it's not my kid, but I will drop everything. <laughs> but lastly, if you caught on to something that Pastor Matt was praying about or even what Dave was talking about, write down something these verses say we should do or be. Our God is ascending God, and he has sent us. There's this tech YouTuber that I like to watch because I'm nerdy like that. I actually, I believe it's a geek is the right proper tune. And he says, hey, I'm, if I can figure it out, you can figure it out. It's a tech blogger. There are clearly people that can't figure it out. If there's anything that COVID has shown us is that there's people who can't figure out technology, and that's fine. But the word of God can be. It is simple enough for a child. It is deep enough for the deepest theologian. Because every time you crack the book, you're face to face with God. God promises that it will impart understanding to the simple. And that's why as a parent, I'm commanded to teach my kids what it says. Because it can be understood from the youngest to the oldest. And maybe it doesn't go that deep. And that's fine. But we can all know who God is because he has shown himself specifically to us in his word. We don't have to guess. It's right there. Christians, you can understand the word of God. It's not just the pastor who gets to. It is for all Christians. In fact, the word of God commands you to know it and to study it. Because it is the way you come to know the one who saved you. The word of God can be understood. But the word of God is also centered on Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it is centered on Jesus. This is, there's this idea that the Bible is all about you and me, and it's not. I hate to break it to you. I, you can go cry about it later. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. 
If you read Luke, you see Jesus walking with two of his followers on the road to Aramaeus. And I, <laughs> I love this. Jesus says to his two followers, we don't know who, who they are by name, probably on purpose, because this is what he says. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures that things concerning himself. From Old Testament to New Testament is about Jesus. The Old Testament talks about the promise. New Testament talks about promise fulfilled. The promise of Jesus Christ. My family and I are going, we do family worship time, uh, usually for breakfast, and we're going through this book called Exploring the Bible. It's a great book. Parents, I encourage you to get it. It's 52 weeks through Crossway. But if you, it, it walks through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and what's really amazing about it is how it reminds me constantly about who Jesus is. And how even in Genesis 3, as Adam sins against a holy God, God makes a promise of what? Jesus. Which is why Romans 5 verse 17 is so important in the New Testament. For if because of one man's trespasses, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. To the one man, Jesus Christ. The whole Bible points to Jesus Christ. That we have sinned against a holy God. That because of our sin, we deserve to be in hell for all eternity. But Jesus Christ came to save those whom he has called to himself. That anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose again will be, will be saved. Not maybe, kind of, somewhat, will. If the Bible is not true, that's not. My hope is on this. The Bible is all about Jesus from the beginning to the end. If you haven't read the Bible, I would hate to spoil it for you. It's all about Jesus. Every part of it. And points to his amazing, what he has done for us. The entire plot line of scripture talks about, shines a light on, and finds its ultimate resolution in God's redeeming son, Jesus Christ. Every part of it. That's why it's so beautiful. That's why it's so precious. I still remember a story from when I was a kid. Um, one of the missionaries. When, you remember back when they used to do in, uh, the, the whole week-long missionary thing? Yeah. Uh, we did that, too. And I remember one missionary coming in and telling us about uh, Christians in Korea, North Korea, and how, um, actually, I think it was a video now that I'm thinking about it. And uh, uh, the police break into the church, they break down the wall and the, the door, sorry, and they start saying, uh, denounce the word of God or die. You know, one by one, all the adults denounce the word of God. They had to spit on the Bible in order to do that act of denouncing. And then it got to this girl who picks up the Bible and she cleans it off. I, I pray as a church, each of us, whoever you are, 
you're online watching as well, that you would see the word of God as precious because it is the word of God. It is sufficient. It is powerful. It can change hearts. It can change minds. It, it can be understood. It has authority. It is sufficient for all things. Either it's sufficient for all things or it's not. I pray that we would do that. The word of God is, is precious. The Bible is a bottomless treasure chest of beauty and wonder. It claims to be inspired, true, authoritative, clear, sufficient, powerful, Christ-centered, and precious. How precious is God's word? We don't have to guess. We don't. Because God spoke and is speaking through his word. So what does all this mean? What do we do with all of this? Quite simply, what do we believe about the Bible? We don't have to guess because God speaks. We don't have to guess because God speaks. Because the Bible is God's word, we don't have to guess about who God is. He has told us. It is precious because this is God's word. He has given it to us, and we can know God. I don't have to guess. I don't have to wonder. He has revealed himself specifically to us through his word. And this is why it's so important to believe that the Bible is truthful. For you theological nerds out there, that is inerrancy and infallibility. We believe those things. Because the word of God is truth. And in a day and an age where truth is subjective and truth is whatever, it doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't, just think about it. it in a world where anything goes, anything, literally anything goes. And, and, and brothers and sisters, I'm really praying for us. Pray with me. Like we are entering into a time that it cannot be explained. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine and say, so often we go to older pastors and say, hey, guys, how do we navigate the stuff that we're kind of going through? Nobody has gone through this stuff before that's alive. We have to go back to the Word of God. The Word of God is true. We don't have to guess because God speaks. And when we take away the Bible, when we, when we take away what the Bible is, we get to do whatever we want. Is that not true in our time? We get to live like whatever we want. We get to say whatever we want. Because we get to guess what God is. As Exodus says again in 32, 16, the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Or again, 2, Peter, or 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, Yes, there's hard things that have to be said sometimes for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
as pastors and shepherds here at Knollwood, that's why we ask the question, what does the Bible say? Because if the Bible has something, if the Bible is all sufficient, if it is useful for all things, then it probably, probably has something to say about how we are to lead the church, right? Just throwing it out there. We ask about these things with our community groups. We ask, what do we learn about who God is and who we are? In our worship, we ask this. What does the Bible say? How, should God, well, how does God want to be worshipped? Let's worship him in that way. Why? Because the Bible is the word of God. It is authoritative. It is clear. It is true. It is sufficient. It is powerful. The Bible isn't a product of community, a library of text. It's not multivocal, a human response to God living and dynamic, it's, the Bible has not left that open for us. The Bible is the word of God. It is self-interpreting. It is, does have some things to say about science. It, it, is, it is an answer in a rule book. It is inerrant and infallible. It shows us who God is. Without these things, we don't have to test. And without them, sorry, we don't have to guess. And without them, we don't have a leg to stand on. Look at all the script, uh, what Scripture tells us about him itself. The Bible is a bottomless treasure chest of beauty and wonder. It claims to be inspired and true, authoritative, clear, sufficient, powerful, Christ-centered, and precious. May God help us to treat it as such. That is why we have a statement in our statement of faith that says this. We believe the Bible to be the complete word of God. That the 66 books, as original written, comprised of the Old and New Testament, were verbally inspired by the Spirit of God, and therefore we entirely, and entirely free from error. That the Bible is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice and the true basis of Christian union. That's why we have that statement in there. This is what inerrancy and infallibility mean. They are extremely important ones because the truth does matter. The Bible is the sole objective source of all God has given us about himself and his plan for humanity. As God's infallible word, the Bible is inerrant, authoritative, reliable, sufficient to meet our needs. J.C. Ryle said it this way, Happy is the man who possesses the Bible. Amen? Happier still is he who reads it. Amen? Happiest of all is he who not only reads it, but obeys it. We have what God says. Christian, you, shouldn't, you should be grateful to God for this beautiful gift. If, 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 if someone gives you a, a beautiful gift, maybe something that you've always wanted, what do you do with it? Leave it on your shelf so it kind of gets all dusty? Or do you use it, admire it, learn all the increases of it? See, the gospel is like a diamond, right? Beautiful. And I get to look at it at all different angles. It's never ending. We have what God says. We have the word of God. This is what we base our faith and our life entirely and exclusively on. Without it, we wouldn't know how to honor or please God in what he has called us to do, but he has let us know. With it, 
we don't have to guess. We don't worship a God who's some sort of malicious intense of just trying to make our lives miserable and make us guess all the time. We know. We don't have to guess. May we treat it as a treasure it is. We don't have to guess because God speaks. Because the Bible is God's word, we don't have to guess about who God is. He has told us. I know it's a deep subject, but there's, uh, we have these, what do they call them? First Step series. We have them in the back over there in the library. And there's one book here called Bible. Good word, eh? Can we trust it? It's a pretty decent thing. And each chapter talks about different subjects, like where its origins are. And each chapter is maybe five pages. But each chapter is full of a story, scripture, another illustration, and some questions. We're not looking at reading, if you're really into it, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. I know, it's good stuff. I enjoy it too. But that's a pretty important question. Can we trust it? And this is for everyone. You don't have to be the pastor. You didn't have to go to Bible college or seminary. I encourage you. If you want to know and answer that question, I encourage you. Maybe bring some people with you in that. Get a group together. Because you can do that starting tomorrow. Bring your family through that. Bring your spouse. Whoever it may be. Do it by yourself. If you're by yourself, drag someone along with you, even if they're kicking and screaming, because it's important. But as we continue to worship our awesome God, let me close in prayer. As we close in prayer, we're going to be singing a new song today, which I'm really excited about, because I'm proud about it. I can be proud about these things, right? I didn't have to write it. No. Pastor Matt wrote a song talking about the Word of God. We're going to sing it. Um, I'm really proud of Pastor Matt, actually, for writing the song. So make sure that you make that known to him, too. But let me pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us through your Word. God, I pray that indeed we would continue to worship you, that we would see the word of God as authoritative as your word, that we would hold to it as precious because it is your word. And God, may we look at it and may we seek to be obedient to you, not because uh, it wins us favor with you, but because we understand that we have been loved by an awesome God who created the universe. Lord, may we worship you in spirit and truth today. And amen.